culture shock and issue linkage at Davos. A screen addiction narrative starts to emerge in the Texas shooting and creepy Kevin Spacey. You're listening to the Propaganda Report's Drive Time News Blast. I'm Brad Binkley. I recorded this little insert here because when we recorded live today, my audio was all jacked up and distorted. I tried to fix it as much as I know how. It does sound better, but it's still not as quality as I'd like it to be. My apologies. I will figure out what the issue was and correct it by tomorrow. We do have a lot of good stuff to talk about today. I am here with Cam Harless of the Mad Ones podcast. Cam, how you doing? Oh, I'm, I am mad at myself. I'll tell you that much. Well, you're going to tell us why you're mad at yourself here in a minute with this top story that we dive into. about. Obviously, the Texas shooting is the thing everybody's still talking about today. And there are, as expected, some updates on the shooting. It was previously reported that when the shooter first entered the school, he was confronted by an armed resource school or school resource officer that no shots were fired and that the shooter was able to get inside of the building anyway. It's now being reported that this was not actually the case and that despite earlier reports, there was no school resource officer and the shooter entered the school through an unlocked door. Now, I'm not sure how they could get this piece of information wrong. It would seem it would be pretty easy to to clarify, to verify that fact, either through a school camera or through just looking at the employee records to see who was supposed to work that day. That is, unless someone was supposed to be there and they weren't doing their job, maybe they stepped out to have a cigarette, or maybe they ducked below something. I don't know. I'm just speculating. I have no idea what happened, and I think nobody reporting on this has any idea what happened. The only people that know are the people that were there. So I expect this stuff to continue to keep changing and shifting. There was another interesting update that I saw where apparently there was a gamer who had been playing this game called Dead by Daylight, multiplayer online, who called the FBI a few hours before the shooting because someone they were playing with said they were going to shoot up a school using an AR-15 after he got mad because he lost the game. And then a separate source told The Sun that this shooter was known for making threats about school shootings when playing Call of Duty online. Now, I believe we're seeing emerge, and we referenced this yesterday, a mental health caused by screen addiction narrative. And, you know, this kid allegedly made these social media posts and text about how his grandma was on the phone talking to a phone company about his phone, that, that, and that annoyed him right before he shot her in the head. And apparently, as Cam, you told us yesterday, his mom had previously cut off his internet. That's now three links to the screen addiction causing rage problem. It's like taking heroin away from a drug addict when you take that screen away from some of these kids. And I think that might be what we hear more of. And we also, yeah, so I also know people who will jokingly, when they're playing online, as I hear them do it, will start saying the worst, stupidest things you've ever heard. And I told them, I said, this is probably like two weeks ago, I told somebody I know this, I said, you need to stop saying stuff like that <laughs> in these forums that you're in, these online games that you're in, because you're going to get you and everybody else who's in the room with you is going to be on the list. There's going to be FBI agents that come in here, or people will call the FBI on you, or you're just setting yourself up to be a patsy when you make comments like this in these rooms. And the person I was talking to was a progressive, and they're saying just the worst possible things you can say because they feel safe because they're anonymous, sort of, playing online multiplayer games. I know you had some corrections that you wanted to throw out there. This is why I'm mad. You know, you shouldn't break your own rules. And one of my rules is not to um, applaud police. I don't like doing it unless it's absolutely necessary, because I'm, I've seen enough, you know? 
But yesterday, I noticed that, in, according to the initial report, that they had moved faster than the Parkland shooting cops who didn't go in and who didn't, didn't do anything. <clears throat> and yes, they eventually sh- – well, no, they, di- they didn't even do it. We'll get to that. Um, but they said in the initial reports that they were there and trying to get in 12, uh, 12 minutes after it started. It took 12 minutes. The cops were actually outside for 40 minutes, 40 minutes to an hour while the shooting was going on, and they weren't doing a dang thing. Some of the cops, in fact, went into the school to find their own children first and save them. So they didn't go to the room with the shooter and try to stop the shooting. They went and tried to get their children out first. Not a fan of that. Not a fan of that at all. I imagine a lot of people are not a fan of that. That's what's being reported right now anyway. For all we know, that could change again tomorrow. It could. It could. But I, I don't like it, and I, I, I spoke too soon, and I'm sorry about that. Um, yeah. One of the, the other things were, were that like, I did have written down that the resource officer, uh, did, there was no – um, interaction. He didn't, if he was there, he, no, he wasn't there. The, the latest reporting yeah. on this is that there was no resource officer, school resource that's officer there that's that just amazing. broke on CNN. Now that could change again tomorrow, but they right. said breaking news. There was actually no resource officer there. Okay. Which I don't know also, how you get that wrong. They also said that there were two cops that were initially there that tried to stop him and got shot while that yep. was happening. Yeah. They didn't try to stop him. He just shot at them and then went in. So it wasn't even they were trying they, – they were just in the, the parking lot, and they got shot at. And they did get shot. But I'm just saying that it wasn't what they made it out to be. Um, yeah. So, yeah, here's, here's the fun thing that I saw. It really annoyed me. Um, there were They were out there for 40 minutes. Uh, parents begged them in to go and stop the shooting. Um, when they – one of the parents, uh, Javier Caveras, Cazares – tried to talk all the bystanders around him into going in since the cops weren't doing anything. He said, let's just rush in because the cops aren't doing anything like they're supposed to. And while he was trying to make this happen, the the shooter killed his 10-year-old daughter. So so that actually, that's the narrative around that, that while he was doing that is when his... Yeah, that, that, that's, that's what, what they've reported. Um, also, that uh, if you look at the video, there's a six-minute video that I have linked um, where you can see the parents trying to get the, the police officers to do something. And what you notice is that there's a cop with a ready taser trying to keep the parents from going in to save their children. That's interesting. There's, there's also another man who's clearly detained by a cop on the ground in the video. Um, and apparently some pepper spray was used. Uh, so they they stopped parents from going in and saving their kids. And I despise that, especially when they went and saved their own. Um, so another another horrible detail that the that with the cops in this was that um, the kids were hiding inside. There was one little boy who's talked since this happened and he he and his and a friend were hiding under a table and um, they, he was hiding hard is what he said. And the police, when they came around, one of them shouted to the kids, if you need help, yell. And he and his friend were under this table hiding and he had told his friend, be quiet so he, he can't find us. One of the other kids, a little girl in the classroom, not under the table with him, yelled help. And that's when the shooter found her and killed her. And so this was completely 
mismanaged from the moment they stepped on on the scene. They oh here's the kicker. So you know how they said that he barricaded himself in the office? Yeah. Or in the, the classroom? classroom. Do you know do you know how he barricaded himself? No. He locked the door. Oh, that's the barricade is locking the door. He locked the door. And and the cops did not kick that door down. I don't know if you knew this. Instead of kicking the door down, they instead waited until they could find a staff member with a key to come in and unlock the door for them. Wow. And this is as being – we should uh, – just do want to clarify again. This is as it's being reported now. Right. I suspect that many of these details will again change. Which one is the truth and which one is the lie or the cover-up? I don't know. But oh, yeah, once one small correction from yesterday is you said his grandmother had called the police and it was actually their cross the neighbor neighbors. Yeah, but yeah. she also called the police. He called the police first, the neighbor, but the grandma called okay. shortly after. And I, that I don't know if that's how they knew who it was, I guess. But she is still alive, apparently. And yeah. it will be interesting to hear what she has to say if she is able to recover. The story is just going to keep changing. That's why right. stories like this are just you don't like them because of the subject matter and it's terrible and i also don't like them because they change i mean it's like water it just completely moves around and shifts with the wind and you have no idea who's telling the truth who's lying uh some of the press conferences have been uh volatile and i'm not even talking about the beto uh, where the beta beto where he jumped up trying to politicize everything it's just these stories like this are just they're just a mess uh, moving on from that let me, let, that let me say one more thing i do want to shout out one person all right because that's all the corrections from yesterday as far as we know uh, but i did want to shout out this one story about one of the mothers angeli gomez she drove 40 minutes or 40 40 miles to the school after she heard about the shooting so 12 minutes is not a thing um so she's when she got there the police weren't doing anything she wanted to go in um and the a federal marshal approached her and put her in handcuffs so she wouldn't do anything um, she was able to convince local law enforcement to free her, but she said she also saw a father pepper spray, another one tackled to the ground by the law enforcement. And But once she was able to be freed, she hauled her ass into that that school, found her kids and sprinted out of the school with her. So I just want to shout out Angeli Gomez. If this story is true, and I hope it is, you're a freaking hero to your kids. And I applaud the hell out of that. Yeah, that is definitely brave and heroic on her part, if true. Lost in Spice says that it could have been a heavy door that would have needed a battering ram. This is in the chats and Rockfin. And yeah, it could very well have been because they could have put increased security measures at the school after previous shootings. And there is a document that I haven't got a chance to read yet that I just saw about what their security measures are. It's like a checklist. Yeah. And I'm interested to look through that later on. To I imagine that's going to become part of the narrative, what they did and did not do on like that checklist. Door. At the door at Waco, the massively yes. disappearing door. Yes, yes. There you go. <laughs> okay, so Davos, the World Economic Forum's annual meeting, where they you know circle up and you know, do whatever to each other, ended earlier today, and I wanted to talk briefly about something that I heard during a Davos panel yesterday. It's it's called issue linkage. This was a subject that came up during a panel discussion that was titled Crisis, Experimentation, and Innovation. So you can imagine what that panel discussion was about. It was about innovating and experimenting during crisis to expedite and speed up the process of change is essentially what it was about. And during 
the discussion, this guy, they were talking about how do you get people to focus their attention and to care when you have so many crises going on, crises going on at one time. Their energy is split. They're emotionally exhausted. How do you keep the focus on climate change and also on standing up in solidarity for Ukraine and also all the other issues domestically? How do you do that? And so he's talking about this issue of, of issue linkage. And the guy's name is... Frank Gels. He's a professor of system innovation at the University of Manchester. Now, it's not just him. It's everybody on the panel who was talking about this, but he's the one that gave a name to it. So I want to play a short clip of him just describing issue linkage. And it really gives you some insight into how these people who are trying to shape the world think about communicating with the public about various crises that are going on in the world. Of competing issues is, is a normal problem in transitions because, you know, uh, after the shock you get invention, it takes, it takes a long time and, you know, the world is currently so complex, usually other things happen. So what we are now seeing is this can disrupt the initial problem. So with, with the climate, of course, there was, there was a lot of momentum, you know, within that zero pledges in, in the last couple of years. And now, of course, people, the opponents of, of this transition, low carbon transition, are, see an opportunity with, with, with the rising energy price to say, we can't afford this, you know, we shouldn't do it. It's too expensive. We've got other priorities. This happened after the great financial crisis as well. Of course, 2008-9 completely disrupted all the green investments. So they're trying to slow this down, understandably. But the right tactic is, as Donald said, in, in the literature, this is called issue linkage. So you need to try to change your framing, what you wanted to do anyway, the rolling out of this low carbon transition. You need to develop a narrative which combines the different issues together. So you linked it to, to uh, uh, unemployment, gun violence. Uh, and now, of course, that's how you have multiple issues give you a reason to do it. And of course, with the, with the, uh, the, the, the gas uh, and oil prices now, we see some countries indeed slowing down. The UK indeed is using this to, to drill for more oil and gas. But you see the European Commission, the Franz Timmermans yesterday, they're doubling down on the European Green Deal. They say exactly, they now link it to security, you know, and, and, and if anything works, link it to the military, you know, no, seriously. And that's really now giving them extra momentum. Okay, if anything works, link it to the military. He kind of laughs that off. And so he's talking here about linking different issues together, constructing a narrative around those issues that enables you to move the public, mobilize the public, and direct them to where you want them to be while caring about and achieving all the goals of these multiple issues through this narrative. And this goes back to the narrative warfare stuff that I talk about a lot. We did a deep dive deconstruction on this a year and a half ago on Rockfin. And one of the primary fundamentals of narrative warfare is that it's not about truth. It's about meaning. And if you control the meaning, then you control the perception of reality that the public believes, and you can then direct them in which way you want to go. Truth does not fact. They might tell the truth sometimes, but truth does not factor in. It's not the most important thing, and they will definitely skew the truth to fit the narrative so they can inject that meaning to change it. And that's exactly what this guy's talking about. This is why everything leads back to climate change. We can't hear anything in the news without it saying, well, it's also this issue, that, that issue, and at the core, it's climate change. That's because they're using issue linkage to try and manipulate the public with this mass narrative of the World Economic Forum. Yeah, because to them, truth is not an end in and of itself. Truth is no. a tool. Absolutely. And in that same in that same vein, there was another panel discussion at Davos called Culture Shock. You can only imagine what that's about. That is about 
how artists and art can affect culture in ways that other things other things cannot. So people who are artists, movies and stuff like that, uh, painters, poets, they, they can express emotion in different ways and it can manifest in different ways that changes the way people look at things and then causes basically short circuits people's ability to critically think and gets them to do things and perceive things in ways that they might not otherwise have. And there's an artist here on this panel who is possibly the most pretentious person you're ever going to see in your life. His name is, he goes only by the single name of Platon, P-L-A-T-O-N, and he's a photographer and founder of The People's Portfolio, and he shares a story. So there's a couple things that were going on in Davos. It was all about climate change, and it was also all about Russia. So the issue linkage would be climate change to Russia with all the others in between, but it is all, always went back to how bad Putin is and the war of Ukraine against Russia. And we also had Zelensky there also promoting this. Well, I found it interesting the way that this photographer issue linked Russia into the whole idea of this World Economic Forum narrative that they're pushing. He tells the story of when he got to take Vladimir Putin's photograph and the impact that that had. And I'd like to share that with you right here. And I apologize for this guy here. He's almost a caricature in and of himself. I had the experience of photographing Putin. And I have a very unique perspective of what it was like to meet him. And so sometimes an artist brings something to the table that perhaps a journalist might not, certainly a historian might not, certainly um, you know, other people who would interview him. So I'd like to just tell you a little bit about what happened there, because it's interesting from an artistic point of view. So um, it was a very dramatic experience being sent to his private dasha just outside Moscow. And uh, guns everywhere, snipers on the roof. I was led into his office, which is, I believe, where they partly dissolved the Soviet Union back in the day, and now it's his office. So the door opens, and he walks in the room with a giant entourage, two translators whispering in his ear, whole gang of bodyguards and a whole load of political advisors. And I said to him, Mr. President, I'm an artist. So I'd like to ask you something before I document this moment of history as an artist. And I said, I was brought up by my mom and dad listening to the music of the Beatles. And I'm interested to know if you ever listened to the Beatles. They translate in his ear. There's some confusing looks amongst the entourage. <laughs> and then his mood drops and he orders all the advisors and the two translators out of the room immediately. And he turns to me, and in perfect English, he says, I love the Beatles. <laughs> I said, I didn't know you spoke English. He said, I speak perfect English. So I said, that's interesting. In that case, let's talk about art. Let's talk about who your favorite Beatle is. He said, Paul. So I said, what's your favorite song? Is it back in the USSR? <laughs> yeah, he didn't like that very much. And then he got, seemed to get even more angry, and he said, no, my favorite song is Yesterday. Think about it. And I thought about it. Oh, my God. And I realized I'm being sent a subliminal message about the old days of power and authority of the Soviet Union through a Paul McCartney song. Okay. So 
Here's this guy telling a story about how he, he was able to get Putin one-on-one, no advisors, no security around, because he simply asked about the Beatles, and Putin loves the Beatles. Paul's his favorite. I don't believe that for a second. I believe he does speak perfect or good English. I don't know about perfect English, but just the way this guy tells the story, specifically to link it all the way back to... Putin wants to return the old Russia to power. And he even seeded that at the beginning of the narrative with it's in his offices where the old Soviet Union, he just everything about that leading up to that punchline there at the end. Yeah, yesterday, think about it. I don't believe that story. There might have been a version of that story that happened. Maybe Putin was joking with him in the, in the way that he said that. What are your thoughts on that guy? I do have Another clip from this guy that is also interesting in the way that he tries to promote this message of evil Putin wanting to bring back the old Soviet Union. I just love that he said the name of a song and was able and this guy was able to read his mind what he meant like it. Oh, yeah. No, he knew exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He actually says that. And later on, he's like, oh, it's it's just amazing to me, the culture, because I'm an artist and I'm able to secretly understand the metaphor that Putin makes through a song, a Beatles song. Yeah. So, yeah, he is very mealy mouth. He does. Definitely. Catherine says in the chats, he takes mealy mouth to a whole new level. Absolutely. That's a great way to explain it. But I want you to see now this. And if you're listening to this, I'll try and uh, I'll describe it. He has this. There's this Putin image that is a famous image. It's kind of underneath Putin. And I'll link it in the chats and, and you can or I'll link it in the show notes and you can look at it. But he's actually going to show the photograph and talk about the photograph and what that photograph meant to activism. So this guy gets in there as an artist and then turn around, turns around and uses a photo to rally up activists in Russia against the guy who let him take his photograph. I'd like my friend to show the picture. I ended up an inch and a half away from his nose as I took this picture. I could feel his cold breath on my hand as I focused the lens. And that's how I got the truth. The truth is that this is the face of power and authority in Russia. And then if you go to the next picture... And then he performs power for me in his chair. Now, the headshot, if you go back one, the headshot, um, he loved this picture because it shows him as a tough nationalist that he wants to be. But I'm very honored and privileged to tell you that the LGBTQ community in Russia and the human rights community in Russia, they're all my friends. And they have also adopted this picture because they use it as a banner to show everything that they believe is wrong with power and authority in Russia. And I've been notified recently that anyone who is caught circulating this picture with Photoshop rouge on or any kind of artistic street art additions, which I personally love, um, they if anyone's caught circulating it online with connection with human rights, they will instantly go to jail. So this picture has now been labeled as extremist material. So it's interesting how culture does build bridges. And, you know, us artists, we see the world in a different place, in a different way. If I had spoken to him as a journalist, I would never have even got the picture, Mm. let alone had an insight into his mind. If you think about the words, yesterday, all my troubles seem so far away. Now it looks as though they're here to stay. Oh, I believe in yesterday. And he's taking himself out of it and putting Russia into that song 
Okay, so here we have this extremist. This guy just branded himself an extremist, this Davos panelist. I, I, I can imagine just living daily life around this guy where he just quote, quoting Beatles songs every time he sees the wind blow. It must be really obnoxious. But the way that he, that whole thing, just to deliver the propaganda message of Putin, Russia, evil, artist, need to be at the forefront and this is kind of what they they talk about the world economic forms artists need to be at the forefront and they need to be leaned on to change culture because of their ability to express things in a more emotional way that short circuits the ability to critically think and this guy i mean those photographs are great he's obviously a good artist i don't know about his uh you know, quoting songs in his storytelling, it's got to be a bit much for me, but that is what they want to do. And they already do when it comes to the artistic community. And this is why they fund endeavors. Like we saw the funds and the grants here in Georgia and across the country that millions of dollars, it was divided between like 80 arts organizations in the, in the United States that they got the money on the condition that they are to deliver pro-vaccine messages. They are to get people signed up to, to get the vaccine throughout the course of their shows, and they are to deliver material in their shows that encourage people to get the vaccine. So the content of their shows have to align with those values in order for them to get that grant money. Wow. Yeah. In that clip, I think the thing that uh, I thought of is when he said, you know, if anyone edits this photo – uh, straight to jail. It made me think of that um, uh, Parks and Recreation episode where the like the, where the um, Venezuelan officials were like overcooked chicken straight to jail, uh, drive too slow straight to jail. <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I know the audio levels on that. This guy's voice is low. I didn't bump his audio up before. I, I meant to, so that's my mistake. I have one more short one here of him. I will try to see if I can bump it up a little bit for this one, where he gives just kind of his little final closing thoughts on that story that he just told us. And then the other thing I learned is that he's not to be underestimated because everyone, the narrative right now is that he's gone mad. But I, I suspect that the Putin that I met is a strategist. And it was extraordinary, all the politicians I've worked with over 30 years. I've never had a philosophical, symbolic conversation using Beatles lyrics <laughs> to express secretly what they might feel. Um, he's super smart. And unfortunately, he's not to be underestimated. There is a lot of strategy in his thinking. And he understands how the West think very, very care carefully, even through culture. So I now that I do believe, yeah, I do believe that he is, there. yeah. Like that's that's one of those things that when I hear them talk about how Putin is insane or this, it's the same words they used for uh, Kim Jong Il, Kim Jong Un, Kim Il Sung. Oh, these are crazy people. They'll never do anything. But those people have successfully kept a communist country in Korea with people stamped down for fifty, what's seventy years or something. Yeah. Like these are evil people. They're not crazy people. They're not dumb people. They know yeah. what they're doing. Yeah, they do know what they're doing. I do believe that. And I do believe that he took that photo and he did meet Putin. Obviously, he was welcomed in to Putin's little entourage there to do that. So there was a level of trust there. And you can see that in the way he was telling the story, too, because he was trying to distance himself and say, I I'm friends with the LGBTQ community. And I'm happy to say that they put rouge on the photograph and it is now an extremist piece of work. So he's trying to make it seem like he's not on the inside, but he's actually against Putin instead of being welcomed in and apparently getting a one-on-one -on -one with him to talk about Paul from the Beatles. Yeah. Okay. I got 
a little bit more for you today, Cam. You might have seen the story, but before I tell you about that story, I want to tell you what we're going to talk about in the XR. And it's going to be another one of these Davos panels. There were so many of these that they had. They were so excited that they got to do it in person again instead of virtually this year. So they, they, they really hit it hard on the agenda. And one of the ones that really stood out to me was this discussion about the ESG standards. And they talk about how basically they're holding these or trying to hold these corporations hostage with these ESG standards, these social credit like scores that they're using. And I'm going to let you guys hear a little bit of what they have to say. And I want to let you hear a clip here from, it's a short teaser clip from the Bank of America CEO. His name is Brian Mahonan. The audio might be low on it. It's probably going to be lower than ours because I did not bump those up as I should have, but I still want to give you a little tease of this. Leadership over 50 years, you know, it's all come together. So I don't see there's... He says Klaus's leadership here at the beginning. Klaus's leadership over 50 years, you know, it's all come together. So I don't see there's a way you can walk away from it because your customers won't let you, your employees won't let you, your shareholders shouldn't, won't let you, and by the way, society won't let you. So what he's saying in that clip, and he's, he speaks fast and he mumbles a little bit, but he's saying that Klaus and his leadership over 50 years, his plan is coming together finally. That's what he's expressing in this panel discussion. And I'm going to play you some more clips from that guy and from some other people. That's some pretty eye-opening stuff. And if you want to catch the Rockfin live and you want to uh, be a part of the chat, i got a great chat going on over here. Uh, um, you can sign up through our channel at Propaganda Report at Rockfin dot com slash propaganda report where you will get this as well as the panel discussion deep dives that we do monthly the the longer shows as well as all of the other content on rockfin i know the mad ones are on rockfin you have legit bat you have scott adams you have whitney webb you have sam Tripoli. a lot of good stuff on rockfin it is a pro free speech pro liberty platform where you can get the stuff that you can no longer get on youtube all for 9.99 so subscribe through the propaganda report channel at rockfin.com slash propaganda report all right the final story that i want to talk about maybe you saw this did you see that kevin spacey was yeah man in, in trouble again <laughs> yeah Ke- kevin space just when he thought he might wiggle out of it he has been charged with four counts of sexual assault against three men by britain's crown prosecution service this was announced today he has been charged with he's also been charged with causing a person to engage in penetrative sexual activity without consent isn't that just rape yeah, it's just forcible like, rape. <laughs> yes. The charges follow a review of the evidence gathered by the Metropolitan Police in its investigation. And this allegedly took place between in London between March of 2005 and August of 2008. That is when, oh, and in Western England in April of 2013. That is when he was the he was running London's Old Vic Theater during those years. So he was like a director at that theater when a lot of this happened. And he denies the allegations and he is currently trying to have the sex abuse lawsuit again from rap anthony rap the actor in star trek discovery he's trying to have that thrown out right now so even though he was recently welcomed back into a film role not long ago i can't remember the name of the film somebody cast him in something though he is now back in the news for the 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 very things that everybody has always thought of him now i don't know if it's true or not but (laughs) he's kind of a creep couldn't happen to a nicer guy do you remember that video he did the ones uh, on Christmas where he plays yeah. his character, they're the creepiest thing, man. I'm back. Yeah. If you haven't seen you? those, 
he made a couple of Christmases in a row, like two, maybe even three. He made a video on Christmas Eve, I think, where he plays his character from House of Cards, the pre- the Southern talking president who's always scheming, trying to willing to kill people, willing to kill dogs if he needs to to get what he wants. And so he's in that character, and he looks directly at camera, and he does a monologue. He's like. I'm back. They could never hold me down. Didn't matter what they tried to do. They tried to lie about me and smear me, but they could never stop me from getting what I want. He just does this like three minute monologue that just makes your skin crawl. Check it out. It's on his YouTube page, although it gives him views and he probably gets ad money when people watch it. So that's something to consider as well. But all right. Thank you, Cam, for joining us and, and your insights always great. And thank you all for hanging out in the chat. You guys can stick around. We're going to be doing the XR here where we're going to hear some more of these mealy mouth folks yeah. tell us their plans to dominate the world. You guys can find your drive time news blast every weekday afternoon at thepropreport.com or your favorite podcasting platform with the Propaganda Report podcast feed. And if you want access to that extra content I was telling you about, go sign up over there at Rockfin. We will talk to you guys next time or in that XR. Have a fantastic rest of your day.